Hey folks, Trev here. We have an unusual episode for you today. Basically, what happened is we goofed up real bad two times so far this season, and we lost the part of the recordings for two separate episodes, both of which featured our good friend Vera Drew, the director and star of The People's Joker. This was a huge bummer for all of us, obviously, because we love Vera, we always have a great time talking to her, and also because the subjects of both of those episodes that we lost were pretty crucial parts of the we need to talk about Kevin season two canon, and one of them in particular, the first one you're gonna hear about, uh, none of us were at exactly in a rush to revisit. So basically what we did here is we kind of took whatever pieces of those recordings we could salvage and edited them together into a little bit of a, little bit of a highlight reel. Um, you're, some of this stuff is out of context, uh, might be a little bit confusing, you'll notice this or that person is missing depending on the episode. But uh, luckily all of Vera's audio survived because she didn't mess up, we did, we're the dumb ones. Um, and anyway, um, I'll keep this brief, but I just want to give a bit of a warning for the first part because the movie that we're discussing is called Vulgar. It was written and directed by Kevin's friend, Brian Johnson, whom we've mentioned on the show before. And uh, the content of this one might be a little rough because the movie is essentially about a clown who gets sexually assaulted. So uh, you'll, you'll hear some frank uh, discussion of sexual assault, violence, and clowns. Uh, just all kinds of unpleasantness, so wanted to warn you about that up front, and uh, now we can get on with the episode. I hope you enjoy. Thank you guys so much, A, for coming back with a new season, because I've missed this show dearly, and B, for sitting through this movie. Yeah, it's... Because <laughs> this was my suggestion. <laughs> it's it's good to finally have you back on the surface level of the podcast, instead of just lurking in the shadows, haunting us. Uh, <laughs> Since her first appearance, Vera has sort of become the phantom of the We Need to Talk About Kevin podcast. She's always whispering foul suggestions in, in our ears in secret and I'm making, our, making our task even, even worse than it already is. Okay, so so Vulgar is a movie made in 2000 that, Ke that Kevin helped his best friend, Brian Johnson... Uh, produce uh, and we talked about Brian Johnson a little bit in the first episode on the clerks documentary because he was the friend that Kevin used to work with at the video store who 
told very funny stories about him being rude to customers and correcting their grammar and other stupid shit like that, which Kevin found so funny that he wrote a whole movie about it. It's so weird. It's so weird to think about this guy as the, like, inspiration of Randall because, like, I just don't, at least in this movie, like, I don't see it. Like, because this guy is playing kind of a Randall-like role in the movie, too, and, like, he fucking sucks. He plays the Randall, which is funny because I think, if I remember, no, no, I mean it's a step beyond... Uh, the shittiness of it's like it's like that same kind of weird uh like obnoxious dialogue that doesn't sound like how a real human would talk but taken to a new level because it came out of the truly sick brain of this man brian johnson and like i i it's i'm trying to like so this movie is meant to be like sick and twisted and and dark and demented or whatever. But when I say that this is a sick person, I mean like he's like I don't I don't like get like offended at movies generally, <laughs> but like this is this is a sick movie. It really yeah. it really fucking made me sick to watch and not just in the way that it's like uh, trying to be shocking because it's not even very good at being shocking in the way it wants to be it's almost more sickening that it tries how sincere it tries to be about the extremely shocking stuff that it does it, it's clearly the product of a, a man who should just be isolated from society and definitely <laughs> Shouldn't have a a friend who's lucky enough to get a movie career because some weird old pervert named Bob Hawk noticed him. And then because that guy has a movie career, he gets his even weirder, sicker friend a chance to make a movie. And it's totally fucked up. Yeah, it's 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 weird because like. I don't know, I I really, really like horror and I really love grindhouse horror and that's literally why I have a copy of this movie is because when I was 15 I liked shit like this but like (laughs) I it's it's so like I I I so rarely you know I I don't separate art from the artist you know when an, an artist ends up being like a creep or a pedo or whatever but like this is but like I I so rarely judge somebody off of like the kind of art they make like I would never say somebody who made a horror movie has issues just because they made a horror movie but in this case it there's just so like this the the it's like you said Trev like the level of how fucked up it is leads me to actually worry (laughs) about this dude's mental state because it's just it goes places that like I I firmly believe like even grindhouse horror shouldn't go or like if, unless you're like a a director like David Lidge or like something, you know, like somebody who can handle really, really heavy fucked up, horrible stuff. It's just, he was in over his head and it's very horrifying that this stuff was inside of his head. Yeah. So it's about, it's about a clown. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing. (laughs) 
you might you might know that our good friend Vera Drew is uh, working on a film called The People's Joker, which is going to be a very cool uh, clown movie, which will actually be tra- transgressive and interesting. Uh, 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 unlike this, which was maybe trying to be some of those things, but it's really I, this. I was offended on behalf of clowns watching this movie. It really does. It does the clown community an incredible disservice. <laughs> so, well, I, I, the, the, the basic concept is that it's about a clown who gets violently sexually assaulted. Right. Yeah. Like we, you ha- we have, we have to. Ass- <laughs> yeah. Which the pre- the premise makes no sense because he's doing it as like a prank. Like yes. this is him trying to make extra money, but he's showing up to a place was expecting supposedly expecting a female stripper, but he's tricking them because he's actually a clown. But he thinks, but he thinks he, th- but he thinks it's supposed to be. He thinks it's going to be so funny that they'll like pay him anyway for doing the service of tricking them into being a clown instead of a lady stripper. I think the is idea. That, do I, I think, have that right? You're it's close. so confusing. I, I think the idea is just that like the the bachelors like at a bachelor party like his friends would hire this clown as a prank instead of a stripper it is deeply confusing and very stupid because like you could have totally i mean like literally like the only reason they did that is probably like brian did that as probably like a script like a story device was to get him in the room with those right. freaks so that he could get assaulted but, but like, wasn't he responding to an ad and like lying to them initially or did i misunderstand that well i think i think what's weird is though he he doesn't so like he goes on this like very kind of like bland and and weird <laughs> like rape revenge thing but it's because the guys are blackmailing they're they're like threatening to blackmail him but like the thing that's weird is like even though they filmed because like his whole worry is like they filmed this video of me and like i mean in the video they made they like forced him at gunpoint to say that he liked the things that they were doing to him but like dude it's so like it's so clearly obvious like i mean i get like why like he was like worried it would ruin his career or something and i totally understand why people don't report things like these but it's just so insane to me that the immediate go-to is okay we need to kill this incest family (laughs) yeah i i think that what rose is talking about is maybe what it's accidentally about and maybe brian johnson doesn't even know that because the 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 rapists are very clear seem very clearly characterized as gay like it's like they are they do sort of like a little bit of a homophobic gay bashing kind of thing but they also like it's weird they like really they like brag about sexual conquest with men there's like a very like i don't know it seems like very necessary to make it clear that these are like gay rapists like I, like the movie clarifies that in I a way th- which i, I found think- very strange I think what it is, this is my, you know, we all know that I love to psychoanalyze Kevin. I think what this is, is 
it's 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 less about like a conscious thing about like you know whatever Brian Johnson knows about his sexual no, no, orientation. No, it's not not conscious I, at all. I but agree. I, th- I think it just is. It's it goes into the pathology of these like sad unremarkable white males because even the beginning mm. of this movie like the way it sets up this character the like the main character the person that we're supposed to be on the side of for an hour and 26 minutes or however long the movie is the only thing i can really say about flappy the clown is like his mom hates him everybody hates oh him my, oh everybody my hates God. him and he's poor and to me that points at a, ver- a thing that I think is also very prevalent in like the alt-right and like incel circles. It's like boring, unremarkable white guys who feel alienated and victimized by society and they don't understand why and it's probably because deep down they have some things that they need to look at about themselves and the kind of people they want to be with. You know, like it that's all- that's my read on it. <laughs> it always has to be a mom or a wife or a girlfriend treating the main guy like trash, right? Like that's all. In this case, it's his mom because he's kind of a loser, so they couldn't have him be married or whatever. So he just has this incredibly mean mom who just insults him and curses at him and and like just shits all over his hopes and dreams constantly for no it's not there it's so weird that she's as mean to to she's not really mean in the way that moms can be mean in most cases no she's just this absurdly cruel person for no reason that's what i think just because i don't i mean i can't I, I, you know, I don't really know. I don't, I, you know, I've, I have met Kevin Smith uh, twice, but I've, I don't know him. Uh, so I, I just don't think he's capable of coming up with a premise this fucked up. Because, so, I, one thing, one thing I want to circle back to, because, like, Rose brought up John Waters. Like, and I, I mean, well, we put a content warning, warning at the beginning of this episode. I think, I think you could make a very fucked up, but funny and like interesting independent film that has a lot of these ingredients if it was executed by somebody like John Waters, who's capable of handing handling like really disgusting shit, because I. I, I, I mean, like, I don't think the idea, I don't think rape is funny in any context, like, regardless of who it's happening to, but it's so, it's like, if you did it in a way that was so absurd, so, like, like, I don't know, like, and I feel like the movie just, I feel like that is actually probably what the movie was going for was to be kind of like walking this line of like, you know, there's some seriousness to it, but it's also like the worst possible thing you could ever want. Like, like it's, it's trying to relish in its like own, like horrifying, like disgustingness, but because it's so bad at executing it, I don't think it, it it works in, in any way. There is one, oh, there's one other thing just cause like kind of on that note, like I apparently Howard Stern, apparently Kevin Smith told, howard stern about this movie i guess in like some 
Stern interview that Kevin Smith did before, because they all, they have a falling out, uh, which is neither here nor there, but, uh, um, and Howard Stern watched it thinking it was going to be a movie like that. And then just fucking ripped it apart on his show in like 2002. Um, I think I could probably find the clip, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's compl- it's just dishonest because it's so clearly conceived as a joke. Like, no matter how, e- even if he did somehow could knew how to make a movie and somehow did a decent job of portraying it seriously or whatever, like the the premise of a a clown gets raped is clearly like this jo- joke idea, right? And that's it's like an part, edgelord that's, joke. Yeah, that's like the beginning of what makes the movie unpalatable. So, like, I was expecting, much like I think Howard Stern was expecting it to be like this shock, like this trauma style, like shock movie. And the fact that it seems like he really wants it to be like a serious movie is just makes is what makes it so deeply upsetting to me, because it's like. It's that 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 like makes it it's like he's trying maybe trying to do like a bigger joke where it's like it's an obviously a edgy joke idea, but we're going to like attempt to give it some David Lynch gravitas and make it like a real movie. And like, first of all, just don't make the movie in the first place. It's a stupid concept. It sucks. You have no business making movies. Don't do it. And also like don't do it like that. It's just, it's awful. And it, oh my God. Yeah, no, I think I, so like I, I'm using a little bit of footage from this film in, in my, in my feature film, the people's Joker, which is sourcing a ton of footage that I don't own the rights to. Um, but uh, I mean, like, you know, I've been through, a ton of trauma and like you know i've been through a sexual assault like i feel like qualified to write about it because i've been through it i've come out on the other side of it and i've grown from it i think that is actually i think you kind of circled around the core issue here rose is like this is a movie about somebody who gets raped by somebody who i'm assuming hasn't gone through that level of trauma and like that's why it's so cold and disgusting and made us all feel like we need to take a hot shower or a cold shower or a hot shower not a cold shower that usually means you're horny i hope you didn't need to take a cold shower after this um, movie what i was gonna say was like for me i mean the whole movie is like it's just a bad it's just a one long bad vibe that makes you feel horrible but the thing that like I actually have a very difficult time watching is the the two sons. Like the like Ethan Suppley and the the other guy like because they're so they're so childlike too and it's just like it's really disgusting. It's just the worst like I can't imagine being handed that script like no matter how much money I needed no matter how much I wanted to be like a a successful actor I would never play a role like that it's just so it's revolting and there's there's no there's no humanity to those characters at all you get you get us the slightest bit of humanizing with the dad because you get 
a scene where he's being nagged to death by his wife. Uh, another another uh, man being motivated by women mistreating him, <laughs> which recur. Which I it was an interesting thing that I thought about Joker is that uh, Joker's mom uh, loves him and cares for him, and like he isn't really like treated badly by women, which is like an interesting thing about the movie because everyone thought it was going to be like this incel movie, but like all of Joker's problems come from like rich men shitting on him and he has like multiple women in his life who are 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 sympathetic if not loving uh, to him which uh, makes it more interesting and less obvious than uh this well i also think i mean i i just had a a very long conversation with somebody about this who's who's gonna be playing an abuser in in my movie <laughs> like I think the key to writing and portraying abusers and is, is adding not necessarily humanizing, but adding depth to them because like, I think, you know, abusers don't think they're abusers genuine, generally speaking. And I don't buy that any of the like bad people in this movie think what they're doing is right. They're just like relishing and being like horrible sex freaks Oh, can we talk? I, I mean, I know that uh, not not to uh, drop the title of the show, but can we talk about Kevin Smith's role in this real quick? So I wrote a lot about like I so Kevin Kevin is playing a gay a gay man in this, and I and I'm fairly certain that I I can't remember if I read this or heard this like when I was a a Smodcast listener or what, but I'm fairly certain he based this performance off of his friend, Malcolm Ingram, his, his, his only gay friend. Um, but the thing that's weird about this is like, he's, he's gay in it, but like at the same time, every single time Kevin has to do something gay, he swats the, the, he swats the man he's in bed with away when the man tries to get a kiss. And then later in the film when uh kevin's like because like kevin plays like a agent or a producer i don't really think it's really ever clear um flappy is signing autographs to these like two like hot moms and kevin is like like making eyes at the moms and it's just so like i all i could see while i was watching kevin play this part was somebody so like just no homoing his way through a portrayal of a gay man. <laughs> so deeply, so deeply uncomfortable with pretending to be gay, but trying to like pretend that he's doing it in good humor, but obviously like yes. he's having like panic attacks about it. I mean, look, I, the year's 2020 and maybe this is something that I should not say. I just think Kevin's actually gay <laughs> or, or like on some sort of queer spectrum and he's just not able to, to, to admit it. Cause, cause that's, that is how it comes off to me. Not only in this, I mean, like I'm reading a lot into his performance in this, but like just over the course of his career, because like Rose, you're right. Like I think specifically the trans stuff, cause like it doesn't get talked about a lot. Like his homophobia gets talked about a lot, but like there's usually like one or two like 
trans things in his stuff that also just really points to me. It, it points to someone, in my opinion, that has something about themselves that they aren't looking at. Which is maybe not my call to make about a human being, but that's... <laughs> Having spent 20 years watching this fucking douchebag's movies, I think I, I feel qualified to say that. I don't know if he's uh, necessarily gay, but I would say Kevin is definitely something other than a straight man who fucks his wife. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He has not. He's never fucked his wife before. We've <laughs> we already determined that in season one. Yeah. Uh, J- Jason Muse is Harley Quinn's real father. <laughs> but anyway. I- I really... I wanted to make sure we spent at least a little bit of time talking about clowns, because this movie's about clowns. Vera is sort of an expert in the field of clowns, and I have a lot of thoughts on the subject myself. And something which makes the plot of the movie make basically no sense at all is that Brian O'Halloran in this movie sucks ass as a clown. His clown performance, it, I, I don't I don't get what his, he's doing this creepy voice. The voice never sounds the same from one clown scene to another. Every time he's being Flappy the Clown, he's doing a, he's doing a different creepy voice that was like, you would never put this person on TV with kids. He's like, he's like, Hey kids, I'm Flappy the Clown. Sorry, I have like it's like it's it's it sounds like he's trying to sound like the creepiest, maybe pedophile kind of like parody of of a of a clown. He's scary. He's not like I don't. And we're we're supposed to believe that because this guy saved a girl's life, sort of, that he became such a popular and sought after birthday clown that the gay Hollywood guy played by Kevin Smith just had to get him on TV. But, I mean, he sucked. Brian O'Halloran sucks in this movie in general. All the acting is dog shit in this movie. But he he is not in any way convincing as a person who wants to be a clown, who likes being a clown, has any sort of clown persona. There's no interest in the concept of what a clown is at all. He mentions at least once to his mom that it's like his dream to be like a famous clown, but like he has no flair for it at all. He doesn't have any sort of defined character. There's no sort of comic aspect to the, we don't see him doing any sort of funny business, any clown stuff at all. Just talking in a weird, creepy voice that doesn't even stay the same from one scene to the next. It's such a terrible misrepresentation of clowning. I've, I have a lot of friends who are clowns and like, cause the clowning community in LA is actually like, well, before COVID it was kind of growing because a lot of comedians, like people who originally would have called themselves comedians were getting fed up with the scene because it's just, full i mean speaking of abuse it's just full of abusers and horrible people um and a lot of the the clowns i know are incredible performers and you know i mean maybe they would do like a child's party as like part i think what this is is like again it just goes back to like he's writing about something he doesn't know like i don't i don't think 
a person who clowns like main aspiration is to be a child party clown because that all that's 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 the goal that it appears to be for for this character there's one more thing i want to point to uh that i think is really like like just it's baffling to me because i think i think like it's already like a bad script but like the scope of this script just as like an independent film is pretty ambitious just because of the sheer amount of locations there are there's like scenes of like gore and violence there's scenes with like a bunch of cops there's stuff where we're supposed to like be watching people on talk shows but they so clearly did not have enough money to pull off any of that stuff like the talk show they show is does not look like a talk show it's worse than it's worse than the dating game in Mallrats. And then my f- my favorite part in the movie though, like that I can actually like pull back and go like, "Oh, this is like so bad, it's good." Is there's sort of like a success montage after Flappy gets gets hired on the show and like the beats of like the way they show that he's now a successful clown is he's reading a script that says flappy the movie at a restaurant and he's just wearing a dress shirt like (laughs) and then they show a there's like a a two minute scene where their car is getting washed and it's not a nice car it's just a fucking generic car wash. And like, it's portrayed like, oh my God, look at these guys washing our car. I can't believe Flappy's so successful now that he can afford a car wash. Like, and it's not played ironically. It's just so clear that they didn't have the resources to do it. And I think that's funny. <laughs> now that's all the time we have for today, kids. So until we meet next, remember, Don't be like these guys. Stay in school and take care of yourselves. Because you know what? And I'm not clowning around. Hey, it's Trev again. Just cutting in one more time to give you our first round of patron shoutouts. As you may know, we just recently launched our Patreon page. And we are currently doing a Batman miniseries, blah, blah. You've heard me talk about this probably. It's very exciting. Anyway, uh, our very first patrons were our good friend Kurt Schiller. Thank you, Kurt. You all know Kurt. You've heard him on the podcast. Thank you for your support, Kurt. Uh, Thank you to CWW, uh, Alex, Ryan, Gusef Fame. Thank you, Gusef. And then we have Ori, Richard, and Michelle. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you for your support. The second episode of Batman Be Gone will be up in just a couple days on the 15th, so look forward to that. And if you haven't already signed up, feel free to go to patreon.com slash we need to talk about Kevin. If you pledge $5 a month, you'll have instant access to uh, Batman Be Gone as well as any future premium content we put out and I have a feeling there might be a special bonus episode along the coming along soon but I can't say anything about that it's a big secret uh, you didn't hear it from me alright back to the show hey I'm Jason Muse and I grew up in a small town called Highlands New Jersey 
You could say I was that mischievous kid known around town, but the truth is my childhood was kind of fucked up. My mom used to drive around and have me steal from mailboxes. She was single, three kids, no money, no job. Well, at least not a taxable one. Oh, and did I mention she was addicted to drugs? I guess a shrink would tell you that part kind of becomes relevant later on. The drugs killed my mom, but that's not the story I'm here to tell. Not today, anyway. I want to talk about a dude named Kevin Smith. This motherfucker changed my life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, a podcast where we watch movies made by Kevin and his friends. Uh, today, we were blessed to watch a very good movie. I'm going to mute Trevor's mic here because he's probably going to say something. Um, very excellent movie. Fantastic viewing experience. <laughs> Madness in the Method, uh, a movie directed and starred in by our favorite Kevin acquaintance, Jason Mewes. I think, okay. So, I, I will say. So, yeah, I'm not, like, not going to ever yeah. go as far as what, what Ted said like i don't think this was a great film i don't i would i would venture not even to call it a film um, <laughs> like i i think there were things in it that were very interesting and very like every second of it a very uh unique choice was made and for better or worse and i cannot i i cannot say that about literally anything else i've watched kevin smith touch in in recent years so like i mean to that to that measure like i think i think there's i think there's something to be said about jason Mew's directorial debut uh i think well i think it's not very good uh, <laughs> there. um but yeah it is a fascinating um meta auteur film uh, much in the line of uh uh, much in the line of Orson Welles' uh, <laughs> F for Fake, uh, you know, a uh, a meta commentary on his career up to this point, or even my my favorite uh, film of the past decade, Twin Peaks season three, uh, a very meta look back at an artist's career. We get to see Jason interact with fame and his life and uh, the roles he's played on a on a meta level and. Um, it's not very good, but, you know, <laughs> after doing this podcast for so long, it was a fascinating uh, little little art piece. Well, I think I think that's I think my main takeaway from I mean, it is it is such a poorly written movie. And I also yeah. I can't really say I, I I have a very difficult time really remembering the plot because also admittedly um, about 10 minutes in the pacing was so because it's pacing is like really weird, weird. it yeah. moves very fast for yeah. like an amateur film but like it was giving me a headache so i had to start multitasking and doing something else but the main takeaway i have from it is like like from the beginning on like that first opening scene where he's auditioning it's like jason muse can act and like oh yeah has like has actually good like i would actually venture to say that he is a good actor mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways he's way better at playing and any other character than he is playing jason or jay <laughs> of jay and silent bob yeah. like i would say and i think you guys talk about this on the show a lot like in clerks jay was just being himself like they just turned on the fucking camera and and that's who that guy was and Every yeah. other film since has been this like, like really, admittedly hard to watch, 
um, bastardization of that character. <laughs> and it really just goes to show how inauthentic that character is to, to who to who Jason is and also like yeah. the kind of characters he's capable of playing. Yeah, uh, this film, I when it started, I was actually very into it. Um, but I think it, uh, maybe it would have been, I think, Trev, you mentioned this, it might have been better suit as a web series or something because the pacing of it uh, once it really took off I just couldn't keep up with it and also um, I think at the beginning it was very exciting because I expected the film to build into something and at least to me it doesn't really it just gets more and more confusing but I do have to admit that there is interesting stylistic choices being made very interesting writing choices being made uh jason is very good in it and uh overall it's just much more mm -hmm. ambitious and i think um uh and and much more uh interesting than most amateur films i'd watch on this like on this budget totally yeah <laughs> i really wish i mean my and this kind of ties into what both of you were saying like i i actually wish that because i think conceptually there actually is a pretty like interesting movie here that like i mean i like take take this with a grain of salt but like you know like almost like eight and a half or something where it's like yeah, exploring yeah. like the creative you know process and like like it through identity and all that stuff and i just think everybody involved um was not expert enough to pull off something like that mm -hmm. and it but it makes me wish that like there was i wish i wish there was like actually a good writing team <laughs> behind this because i think i think i think muse actually really kind of deserves a movie like that and the the parts of this movie that did really work for me were the like huge obnoxious references to VUSQ stuff because I imagine that's what he fucking puts up with all day. And there's something really actually heartbreaking about there's, there's a couple of these shots where like fans go up to him and like, are like, Oh, JJ. And like, you know, he's, he takes a picture with them and usually like makes some sort of like blowjob face or something. But like, without fail every single time that happens you actually stay you stay with him and you see that smile fade and i don't know if like i was just i don't know like way hormonal and emotional yesterday <laughs> but like it actually kind of broke my heart and 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 i think the scenes with him and kevin likewise were the strong like were the actually even though Kevin fucking sucked in this movie. Like, I don't know what, Ugh. take a goddamn acting class, dude. Um, but like, I think, I think Ugh. the strongest parts of it were, were those hitting you over the head with, yeah, this guy's Jay from Jay and Silent Bob. I mean, like that was, that was, that really paid off for me with, with the ending of Kevin basically taking the fall or getting framed for murder by Jason and great. his wife. <laughs> like deserves it. I think it's great though, because, because honestly that first scene, the first scene with them, I, I actually had kind of a, ch I mean, it was hard to watch just because of how bad Kevin's acting was, but it was also, I don't know. There was something about watching the two of them together in this like backstage world Kevin's standing up in the scene Jason's sitting down and Kevin says like 
the line that he's I've heard him say about Jason Mewes so many times that that like he's got a million dollar heart and a nickel head and it's just like uh-huh. Stop calling this dude that you prote- yeah. that has made you fucking millions of dollars. Stop calling him stupid to his face. Like, like what the fuck is that? And, and like, I was so frustrated because I was like, God, I really hope this pays off in some way because I just am so tired of watching Muse get shit on. <laughs> okay, before we get too much further, um, we should go over the plot. Okay, so in this movie, uh, we open with Jason Muse in an audition. And then he he does a good job. The audition finishes, and the 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 general point of that is that like, oh, we just wanted you for the stoner best friend. So the scene is set. Jason Mewes doesn't want to just be the stoner best friends, and I'm saying Jason Mewes as he plays himself in the movie. Everybody plays themselves basically. So he's you know he really wants to be taken seriously. He eventually finds uh, this book that is about method acting, but the guy who gives it to him warns him. Anyway, so the whole like sort of genesis of the movie is that jason gets this method acting book but it's like too powerful and it starts to change him so he ends up like killing the casting director because he was trying to scare him into thinking he could be a good actor he gets arrested a bunch of stuff happens but getting arrested sort of proves to the general like hollywood elite people that he can play serious roles that he's not just like a goofy stoner guy so he starts to get roles and he starts to go up but at the same time, Brian O'Halloran has submitted a script that is like <laughs> the biggest script in the world or something. They call it Odyssey. And it's never clear if it's like, is it just like a retelling of the Odyssey or is it just called that? Okay. Brian O'Halloran writes the script for the Odyssey. <laughs> can I can I tell yeah. you my theory about this? Yes, I, I think that it was actually scripted to be Ben Affleck. I think I think I think actually I mean it would have been way less funny but it would have made way more sense because I don't I like the film was not aware like I any time they talk about how famous Brian O'Halloran is like it didn't feel like ironic like there couldn't be anybody further weird. away from from somebody like that Hollywood would like fully embrace Eventually uh the method acting is getting to Jason and he keeps doing like increasingly dark shit. He kills another guy, like a witness to the original murder, yada yada yada. And then he finds out he's been pushing to get Brian O'Halloran to give him the role. And Brian's like, I'm trying to get the studio man, but they won't. And he finds out that that's a lie. That both Brian and Kevin Smith are working behind the scenes to make sure Jason doesn't get the role because they don't believe in him and they think that if he gets the role and crashes, he'll become an addict again. So. Jason, who's now become a master genius, um, there's like a, a short montage that is totally out of place of him like planting evidence and clues like earlier on in the movie and other scenes that you saw and you thought he was doing something else um, to like frame these people. So he frames Kevin Smith and the end of the movie is a hearing where Jason is like, I don't think he could do it, but I mean, he was always like jealous of Brian there. And uh, Kevin goes to jail. Jason walks free, which is for our podcast. That's like a, a fantastic real life ending. <laughs> I think. I think we'd be really happy happy if that trial was real. I really loved. I there was actually some things about this too that I like. Some of the commentary on like showbiz stuff I actually thought was kind of insightful. Um, like his his agent 
like when he's on the phone with his agent, she's like this fucking manic, crazy. Like she's doing like calisthenics while she's on the phone with him, <laughs> and yeah. like she's shouting at him like, "This ain't the fucking nineties. There's no money anymore." And it's like I've like it just felt there were like these like moments, these little pops of like actual like kind of I would say pretty smart commentary on how like fucking absurd the film and tv industry is i think it said it's uh sites pretty high too just on a script level because i i recognized things that it was pulling from and like the kind of story tradition it was trying to to play into it just like wasn't um it wasn't being made by people that were uh that were competent enough to pull it off but yeah. but there is there are interesting concepts there uh, i would compare it um to films like uh like roger corman's uh i think it's called a bucket of blood which is about a guy who um accidentally uh he accidentally kills someone and then turns them into a statue i think and then it ends up becoming like a celebrated work of art so then they start killing people to make art uh, like it is i do recognize the kind of satire going on with uh, the violence and the absurdity and all that but um, it just doesn't have, um, it doesn't have a focus. Like you really no. lose sense of what it's trying to do and what it's trying to say and like where things are going. And by the end, I still didn't totally know what the, um, uh, what the point of it was. Well, it's, it's just, it's just not, it, it's just, it's somebody's first film. <laughs> like it yeah. just really, yeah. it just really just feels amateur. cause like, I mean, the thing I kept thinking while watching it was like, you know, this is actually shot like, okay. Like the DP yeah. was like, like clearly knew how to set up a shot, but like there was just even little things like the aspect ratio changed once or twice. <laughs> like, like, the, <laughs> like there was a bad composite of Kevin like midway through the movie mm. that was like, so clearly like probably a green screen thing that they shot in his office. And like, I don't know. It just, I think um, I'd actually be really curious to know what he was, what Jason Mewes was like as a director on this, because uh-huh. I feel like there's really two different types of directors, like, especially like coming at a project like this, like, I wonder if like how visual he was or how much of that was left up to the DP. I wonder like how much of like, if he was more of like working with actors, I wonder if he was literally just director only by name (laughs) Um, (laughs) because I'm sure there's some Kevin movies where that was the case, but like, yeah, I'd be really curious to know what the process was like. It just felt, it it felt like a film, like kind of film schooly. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like a lot of it felt like a lot of stuff that I have seen at like um, film school screenings. But honestly, I've watched a lot of student films, and this was far more interesting than uh, yeah. than most of those. So I find it hard to um, go too hard on it because it is obviously a film being made with um, a pretty interesting perspective. Uh, you know, good motivations behind it and. Um, drawing upon ideas and techniques which are legitimately good and interesting but it does feel like an amateur effort and unfortunately when you're dealing with um all these high concepts you need to be able to bring them all together and uh and and it just doesn't but it but it still is a pretty interesting film i'll definitely be thinking about it a lot more than pretty much anything kevin's put out (laughs) yeah yeah 
like at the end of it it just it was entertaining to me like i enjoyed watching it i liked seeing all the people in it except for kevin but it was cool that they made kevin <laughs> out to be like an asshole who doesn't have time for his friends and only does that was podcasts so good and and I, I love Kevin saying that he needed to leave and do a podcast. That was so good. He's like, I've got, I've got, I've got so many podcasts. <laughs> like there are definitely some spots that are dull, but there's a lot of things that I liked. I like the cop character. It's a very anti-cop movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh God. There were oh, three. Yeah. yeah. There were three yeah. homophobic jokes in a row. Like it was, it, it like, it was like you get hit smacked in the face three times with like gay jokes and like it starts with Danny Trejo doing a really like like it's like a 90s gay guy voice and like apparently he's like a method actor it just it sucks then it's immediately followed by Kevin saying oh Muse were you blowing somebody in the house and then it cuts to two gay men talking about blowing each other in a pool it's just like, oh my Ugh. god! Like somebody, please introduce these guys to a gay guy. Oh, like if he hadn't had the like Kevin influence there, because I think it's it's funny how homophobic he makes Kevin out to be in that scene. But the rest of yeah. it is really fucking rough. Yeah. But I honestly found most of the comedy in the movie to be, even though they were a lot of the same jokes that Kevin has done, with the exception of the Danny Trejo stuff, I usually found it a lot better than most of Kevin's films like I actually ended up um I don't remember specifically what I liked but I remember watching it and actually laughing like a pretty decent amount um whereas most of Kevin's movies I watch completely (laughs) stone-faced but you know what you know what I I'm I you know I was relieved when I turned because I honestly I thought this movie was going to be kind of like I don't know, like a little bit more dramatic. And like, I thought it was going to be very specifically just about his addiction. And like, I don't know. I, I had a pill problem in my early twenties. I fucking hate movies about addicts. Like, like generally Mm. they are just like the most, like just masturbatory, like everything is Requiem for a dream. If it's ever about drug addiction in any capacity. And like, I think there is something that, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe this is us giving him a part participation trophy, <laughs> but like, I think there's something really cool about the fact that an ex heroin junkie, like, did like actually really go all out and make something this ambitious. Like, I think he failed yeah. on on a lot of levels, and I will totally point. But I'm also, I don't know, as somebody that's that's been following him since I was a kid, like. I'm, I am happy for him that he got to make this. Yeah, and it's a far it's a far better uh, film than I really expected, and it's not the kind of film uh, I went I went in expecting either. It's just so much more bizarre, and it, and it attempts to do so many things and draw from so many influences. It's really just you know it's it's a it's a big mess of stuff, which is on the one hand. Um, kind of difficult to get through it's kind of a headache but also yeah i don't know it was it was interesting and i did not leave feeling um disappointed or um uh, or very negative about it i also i think it's i think it's really cool because like 
movies about addiction are usually about i mean it's like when they make movies about fucking queer people it's usually about like everybody's reaction to the addict or like how the non-addicts experience the addict's experience and i think this is this is one of the first times i watched a movie where it was like you know like i think because kevin has really kind of made uh, like a cottage industry about talking about like with talking about jason's recovery too and like Mm -hmm. you know like he wrote a whole blog like a four-part blog thing like 20 years ago that was like all about addictions all about muses addiction on Jane and Bob Strike Back and it always like so fucking really weird. fucking bothered me because it's like that's not his story to tell like even if even if Muse gave him permission that's just not his story to tell and I think having a movie where it's like I mean like in this it really shows Kevin doing that very thing and talking about how Muse's like addiction affects him and it's not in like a flattering way that makes Kevin look good, which I think is something I haven't really seen in a movie before either. Well, they even say, they even say in the beginning, like during the shitty opening animation and this, this, this broke my heart. Cause like, like they say in the beginning that like Jason was the one that wanted to be friends with Kevin. Kevin did, Kevin ignored him in the beginning. And I think that also speaks to like a larger theme. And I think also is like, like kind of ties in with like, the commentary on like show business and like creating things that I think is very interesting. It's like, these are two people that actually probably in any other case would not still be in each other's lives for one reason or another, either because, you know, Jason, you know, in some timeline didn't get help or like, you know, Kevin stayed in Highlands. Like if only we lived in that timeline timeline. But like, I mean, like I think, and and this wasn't fully explored just because again this movie wasn't that you know expertly made but like it kind of runs throughout it it's like these are two people that actually probably shouldn't be friends and shouldn't be in each other's lives and there there is something very incongruent and and i would venture to say toxic as loaded of a uh descriptor as that is now i think it's very toxic their dynamic i i i would just love him to get any like that that this this movie actually like despite all its problems it really kind of sealed the deal for me it's like i want to see him in other things like and i and i it feels like that's in his reach i don't know like i have no understanding of how that sort of thing works um but like i don't know it just feels like i but i imagine he does mostly just get offered dumb stoner characters or like you know, like they're like Jane and Bob's appearance in Scream or Scream Three or whatever. Like I imagine it's like a lot of just like stupid cameo shit. But God, he would be really good in a Harmony Korean movie. It it would be uh, so good. I yeah. I really <laughs> liked when he was uh, shooting Brian O'Halloran with a nail gun. That was just that was great. good. Oh, that that's rocked. so satisfying. <laughs> the only time I, I thought that uh, Gina, what is her name, Gina Carano? Uh, the only time I thought that like she even worked a little bit is when she came in after Jay had just pumped a bunch of nails into Brian O'Halloran, and she was like, "Aw," like that was sort of funny for me. Other than that, yeah, not good. <laughs> Glad I watched. I it. am too, and the, yeah, the same. I would not Glad recommend I any. I would ra- not recommend 
seeing any Kevin Smith movie ever to anybody. <laughs> but I I will say if you have because this is I, if you have Amazon Prime, I, I'm pretty sure it's free. It's free on oh, really? it's, it's worth it's that. worth just you know if you need something to put on while you're like washing dishes or like doing something else throw it on because uh-huh. it, it really is i really do i just love watching i i i it's the only reason i will still go see kevin smith movies in theaters is like i genuinely love i have a lot of love in my heart for jason muse yeah <laughs> yeah and I uh, this think is that, like, the only uh this is the only film that we have watched i'm pretty sure that i have paid for um i paid five dollars <laughs> for this film on on youtube i think and i what did you think about the, like did you was it worth it that's what i was gonna say is that yeah i think i think it was worth it and if i ever saw like a blu-ray in walmart or something for 10 15 bucks i'd probably pick it up because i probably will end up revisiting it at some point i think that if you've listened to the podcast this far and you to like like us have a love for Jason Mewes. I think you should watch it. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's so, I mean it's not good. I I was lying earlier, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. And I think you there's there's catharsis for us knowing that like mm-hmm. Jason. I don't know. Th- there's something about knowing <laughs> that Jason could make this movie with this plot with these like points about his own life that made me feel good. I don't know how to explain it. I like the movie. Mm-hmm. Good movie. It's, it's. I mean, it's not good. I, I was lying earlier. I'm. I'm actually. I'm honored that that I am on the first. I have the first lost. We need to talk about Kevin episode. Like that's great. We have uh, a couple of Kevin's receipts here. I went on a little bit of uh, a dive the other day. <laughs> oh no. Um, I, I regret it. I was messaging wild. Vera saying my brain was melting uh, because I saw. Because I saw something which I just, I couldn't resist, which was Adam Carolla says that Kevin Smith cost him half a million dollars. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so I was diving deep into like Kevin's archives and stuff. And I came across this feud that he had with Adam Carolla, um, who I, I don't like, I'm, I'm not a fan of Adam Carolla or anything like that, but um, what I what I very quickly discovered is that as much as Kevin likes to play the you know the chummy guy the stoner dude that gets along with people he has quite a few beefs in Hollywood it seems and Ooh. with Adam Carolla this was a very confusing long story thankfully I, I may link this in the show description I found. <laughs> A, uh, an investigator who broke down the different podcast appearances and, and found the truth. So basically what happened was that Adam Carolla and Kevin Smith were supposed to do a show together, like an HBO wow. comedy show. What? They were going to do a pilot. The deal was going to be half a million dollars uh, for, I believe, uh, for Adam uh, for doing the pilot and presumably, you know, more money after. And it fell apart. And after it fell apart, very quickly, both Adam Carolla and Kevin Smith came out and said that the other person sabotaged it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and within the fan communities of both Adam Carolla and Kevin Smith, uh, it's still divisive, but you know, you know, similar to a lot of cases, I think once the hype died down, people began to accept that yes 
Adam Carolla, unfortunately, was probably correct in this situation. <laughs> so what ended up happening? Because Kevin, of course, went on his podcast and I was like, uh, Oh, you know, you know, man, I, I, I don't know what he's talking about. He's going all over town saying I, I screwed him out of a contract. It's like, well, but, hey, I, I, I'd love I'd love to work with Adam Carolla. I got no problem. I'd love for Adam Carolla to be my partner. He's a, he's a hilarious guy. He can lead the show if he wants to. This is actually stuff that he said on his podcast. He was like, I have I had no problem with Adam Carolla. Fucking I love pathetic. Adam Carolla. He can be the partner. And he was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened, you know, Adam. Uh, basically, the story he told was that Adam was being too difficult with the contract. That Adam, you know, it was unclear what he wanted, but it seemed like there was some miscommunication. Um, Adam wasn't good with the contract. He didn't seem interested, and eventually um, he got kicked off the project or something. So, what turned out to be the case, or the, the more important detail, of course, that Kevin left out, was... Um, <laughs> Adam Carolla was supposed to be on Kevin's podcast. <laughs> oh god. And he uh and he forgot about it and didn't show up. Oh wow. Oh, so that's it. He fucked him over so, just Oh my god. Oh shit. So here's so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Um so Kevin said he had no problem with Adam Carolla. He said this to his his audience and his wife on his podcast. And then later on, and this was what the investigator revealed in this wonderful YouTube video, was uh, he brought up the episode where uh, Kevin Smith actually appeared on Adam Carolla's show to like smooth things out. And Kevin, in fact, revealed that he did have a problem with Adam Carolla <gasps> and that he did send a letter recommending that he be removed from the project. And, and Kevin said it was because Adam um, was uh, homophobic and oh, therefore God. Kevin's audience wasn't <laughs> comfortable with it. Yeah. What, what? Kevin Smith fans weren't comfortable huh? with homophobia. <laughs> yeah. And and he said that um, because, you know, because Adam didn't show up to the podcast, Kevin basically messaged the person and said, you know, I want Adam off the project. And uh, Kevin said, you know, when Adam didn't call him, you know, to say what's up. He was like, well, you know, I guess he's fine with me kicking him off. I guess that means he's out. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that I think if uh, if Kevin was offered to be on a show or something like that for like a million dollars and he said, no, I like I want to I don't want to be part of like this homophobic culture or whatever. That's one thing. But on a project where Kevin is like seems to have hiring and firing power or at least to some extent where he has enough power that he could ask for someone to get kicked off for him to do that like that late in the process especially after adam missed his podcast i mean it feels pretty obvious what is going yeah, on there. he doesn't he doesn't give a shit about the homophobic <laughs> yeah. thing i mean like i like adam carolla is 1000% very homophobic and transphobic. Oh, like, yeah. I don't like him. One of the worst like humans bit. that's ever existed. But like, <laughs> I mean, Kevin here, this is what a fucking little rat. He's just a little <laughs> rat boy. Like what a coward. <laughs> I think that speaks though to the kind of people that are still holding on t to him. And also just in general, like the whole fash, the Kevin Smith fash pipeline. Like <laughs> I think... Is this what right-wing culture war freaks consider an actual good movie? Like, they spend all this time complaining about, like, cultural de degeneracy because there's too many minorities on TV or whatever, and this is the shit that they think is good?
the Venn diagram between red pill dudes and Kevin Smith fans is probably very eye opening. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very much a thing because I I also like like Kevin has been very like apolitical in the past. Like I mean he did he did post some Black Lives Matter stuff when the protests were happening, but like you know so does fucking Target now. Um, uh, but like I I have a feeling that you're onto something here with the fash pipeline. And I have a feeling that Kevin is aware of it and is very delicate about upsetting that contingent of his fan base, because I imagine it is a good chunk of them. Okay. We got to go full Gwen Snyder on this. We got to investigate all of Kevin's ties to the fash. This we're going to, we're going to go season two. If we need to talk about Kevin, it's now full on serial style investigative podcast. We are going to dig deep into the Kev files and we are going to uh, uncover his links to known white supremacist groups. I think it's like, it kind of just really goes to show that like a lot of the problems with our country and just like white supremacy in general i think stem from kevin smith well it comes it comes from the fucking just like people just being lazy dumb idiots who don't really have an opinion but just want to be comfortable and are looking out for themselves and have and carry like you know some fucked up racism that they're probably not even aware of or, or homophobia or whatever it is like i think it's because there is something there. The fact that he's on Rogan's show, he seems to have been friends with Adam Carolla at one point. Like, I I don't know. Like, I think I think it speaks to like the negligent. Like, oh, there a lot of a lot of the problems we're in right now just come from people who wear uh, hockey jerseys. Is what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, uh, white people. After you know, diving 30, 40 minutes into Kevin Smith beef with Adam Carolla, as one is to do, um, I ended up seeing another post on the Adam Carolla subreddit uh, that <laughs> said um, that because I was searching for Kevin Smith in the Adam Carolla subreddit, you know, again as one is to do, <laughs> and uh, someone said, "Does this sound familiar to anyone?" And quickly I discovered that this pattern of Kevin's, uh, you know, or this this behavior of Kevin's has not happened just once before. This pattern of taking a minor slight and taking a very, like, drastic uh, response to it is still something he's doing with Hollywood people today. And it ties very much into the, to, um, the marketing aspect of Kevin. So basically what happened is um, many years later, this is in 2019, someone asked Kevin Smith while he was uh, touring around Jane Silent Bob Reboot in the marketing for that. Someone said, are you going to go on Hot Ones? Which is, of course, the YouTube show about <laughs> oh, eating God. hot wings. So just people remember that. Dumbest, this is just the dumbest time to be alive. Sorry. It's, it's a very, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, and then Kevin Smith tweeted and said that uh, they weren't interested in them, that they that they don't want him on. And um, I sorry, I don't have the exact tweet up uh, in front of oh. me right now. It didn't pop up in my search, but it, there's a follow up. Um, so Kevin said that they weren't interested and Kevin's fans got really angry. They were like, but Kevin, you're a legend. Like, you should be on Hot Ones. <laughs> 
And then, and then a week later, Kevin posts, uh, this is on September 30th, 2019. When we learned we didn't have enough career heat to get on First Week's Feast Hot Ones show for hashtag Jane Silent Bob Reboot at J Muse and I took our sorry shtick to an unnecessary knockoff show we invented called Not Ones. Um, so they did a parody of Hot Ones between them called Not Ones. So it was 10 minutes long. And and again, pointing out that they were not famous enough to get on Hot Ones. And again, Kevin's fans are like, fuck Hot Ones. You know, that bullshit show didn't want you on. You know, I respect Kevin. There was someone, oh, I wish I still had it. Someone I was seeing last night was like, nobody disrespects our family. Like the Kevin Smith family. Like the yeah. universe. That's what I'm talking about. Which is awesome. I love it. Anyways, and then I see, um, oh, and also Jay uh, also tweeted this out saying they wouldn't put us on there, you know, not famous enough, all that. They should yeah, put poor Jay, Jay on there. Fuck Kevin. Kevin get fucked. Put Jay on there. So the so where the story is leading is, <laughs> of course, you know, Kevin's a major figure and him saying that he's not famous enough to go on Hot Ones made his fans upset caused controversy and stuff like that and of course hot ones heard about this so so sean c evans uh who's the host of hot ones the the bald guy um who's much beloved on the internet it seems uh posted on september 30th 2019 i think the same day that kevin posted up his parody and it's the funniest thing ever because Sean is walking down a hallway seemingly like with his posse or something and he's, he's filming himself with the front camera and he's like, okay, I just have to address this Kevin Smith thing which is blowing up my mentions right now. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Look, we were in discussion with like your team, Kevin, and I thought that things were going great. But look, okay, we have to, you know, with our production, sometimes we're traveling around the country and we don't have time to turn around and someone says, oh, we need you to do an episode and turn it around in a week. And sometimes it's not possible and we'll reschedule, okay? So I don't know why like he just starts going off and I totally rips Kevin a new one on cam and then it's like but and then it finishes off by being like but you know I hope your movie goes great okay oh my god <laughs> it's, it's amazing <laughs> Yeah, and Sean in this video also says that, like, that's how they have to handle most guests on Hot Ones, that they have a specific amount of episodes. They do 12 episodes. It's not, like, a random thing. And sometimes they are willing to, like, do a really fast turnaround in, like, really exceptional cases, but it's not something that they can, like, guarantee just because you made fucking clerks in the 90s. But this was... Because he has a feud... He has, like, an ongoing feud with Howard Stern, too, and I think it's the same... I think Jesus it's the same Christ. circumstances. He oh, he Jesus got fucking Christ. mad. He got mad at it's these feuds with the worst people on the planet. <laughs> um, he he was like pissed because I think I want to say it was when he was promoting Clerks Two or Zach and Miri or something. Um, apparently he called Howard Stern like the week of like he wanted to appear the week of the movie release and they're just like, dude, we can't just like drop everything and schedule you in especially like stern show now where like he's like fucking interviewing oh, like huge. hillary clinton and shit like he's not gonna fucking make time for kevin goddamn smith 
Kevin Smith and Hillary Clinton, same pod. Let's make it happen, people. Oh, my God. Hillary, go on Smodcast. Send them on the same rocket ship to the sun. That's my vote. Uh, please uh, don't. Like, if God is listening, don't make that happen. I don't want to have to listen to that. Thank you. <laughs> Anyway, so we have uncovered uh, we have uncovered yet another layer of of Kevin's psyche, which uh, is this very specific way that he pisses off people within the industry. Which, um, <laughs> for all of his uh, you know, for all of his branding efforts, for all of his marketing efforts, which I'll admit are effective in a lot of ways, I feel like that is a very fast way to undermine all of your efforts by pissing yes. off people that you want to promote you yeah it doesn't it doesn't make sense because like i mean i don't know i i always like err on the side of like you know like don't you know like say what you feel and like what you believe like i mm-hmm. I, I lose i lose about a hundred followers a week anytime i tweet anything political and it's just it's just the price i pay for being open about being a leftist on the internet and also wanting to have like a public <laughs> persona but like i mean like when it's shit like this it's just like dude just play the fucking game because you just look like a little bitch i'm sorry that's fucked up (laughs) he does he just looks like a little fucking bitch oh my god i mean like that was the thing the entire time watching this i was like i'm gonna be fine um (laughs) but yeah i i just actually wrapped uh principal photography of my first feature film titled the people's joker which is a uh remix i mean it's largely becoming uh less and less a remix the more i work on it um but it's a remix of uh 2019's joker film it stars me uh, and a lot of incredible people are the shoot this this past month was just like it's a zero um exaggeration that i say like it changed my life and I actually genuinely think this is going to be a pretty good movie. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so fucking excited. No, nah, just, you know, well, just follow me on, follow me on Twitter at VeraDrew22 and Instagram on VeraDrew22. I'm off Facebook now just because like, fuck Facebook. Same. Um, but yeah, I, I, one thing to be on the lookout is there is going to be a, um, a web series that's going to be coming out soon. Um, uh, actually about my film. That's going to be the tent. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if it's, if this is the title we're going to land on because I'm actually creatively not that involved in this just because my bandwidth is, is already pretty tapped. But, um, the working title is joking talker and <laughs> it's going to be hosted by, uh, Elijah Davis and, uh, produced by Justin Gaynor and edited by, uh, Ren Davis and it's um, it's basically just going to be kind of a behind the scenes look at, at what we're putting together so follow me on Twitter VeraDrew22 and be on the lookout for that because you really want it this, this is going to be an exciting exciting movie how upset I'm so upset I'm I'm I, I like actually am more upset having talked about the film and definitely after hearing excerpts of this article. Fuck you! Okay, I'm ending the pod. I'm this done. <laughs> fuck you. Bye, everybody. Uh, fuck you, Trevor. Wow. This ended on a on a down note.